it's Victoria Rowell, Secrets of a Soap Opera Diva, and I've got more lights, camera, and calamity and claws for you today. We're going to talk about black people in soap opera and the history that we have brought to Bubbles, the Sudzers, daytime drama, love in the afternoon. It's a very rich history that I'm very proud to be of and participated in over 2,000 episodes on The Young and the Restless. So we're going to dive into who really was there in the beginning. A lot of people like to tell the history from the 11th floor up. And what you need to know is that there were so many actors before me, before Debbie Morgan. There was Cicely Tyson. There was Ruby D. There was Ozzie Davis. There was Morgan Freeman and Blair Underwood and Ellen Hawley. And the list goes on to Sheena Arnold, Nia Long. Oh, yes, Lawrence Fishburne. So be clear, we have been in the game, but for some reason, we don't get to stay. Well, that's all right, because so-and-so got this career or got that career. But understand that when you're trying to make a living as an actor, you depend on steady work. And we, as African-Americans in daytime, more often than not, don't get to stay. And that's just in front of the camera. We need to talk about what hasn't happened to this day after an aggregate, now hold on to your hair, an aggregate of over 600 years of soap opera. And I'm gonna talk to you about some of these soap operas that you may or may not have heard of. But not all the soap opera actors, black soap opera actors, were just actors. You've got Casey Lemons, who was a soap opera actress before she went on to direct Eve's Bayou and recently Harriet and the story of Madam C.J. Walker. So you got Tamara Tooney, you got Darnell Williams. I mean, there's just so many people. Michael B. Jordan, oh yes. Unfortunately, with black actors in soap opera, these casting directors who are all white, there are no department heads that I know, casting director, department heads, in the last four broadcast soap operas, Young and the Restless, Bold and the Beautiful, Days of Our Lives, General Hospital. I don't know any of those casting directors and before them to be black. If there were, I don't want to hear about how proud you are about one. Don't even come to me with one network. How can you cast us if you don't even let us in the room to cast us? <laughs> It's just bizarre. And in casting family nucleuses, that's been very interesting. Sometimes a casting director got it right, and more often than not, they got it wrong. But I want to talk to you about some of the soap operas and some of the soap opera history. There have been dozens of soap operas, many of which were sponsored and in some cases, created by Procter & Gamble. 
So that's interesting. I understood them to be involved with about 17 soap operas. That's a lot of soap opera. That's a lot of suds. And the purpose of that was, we're going to talk about the history, but how it relates to African-Americans and African-American actors is that Procter & Gamble was in the business of selling anything that cleans, any kind of detergent, any kind of shampoo, any kind of soap. And they found out that housewives in the 1920s and definitely in the 1930s on radio were interested in these 15-minute soap operas that pushed, you know, their soap. And they realized very soon that they had to amp up their budget. So to give you an idea, back in 1930 and 1931, as I love the history, I'm in show business. So I want to know about the business. So, for example, Procter & Gamble in 1930, this is before the Depression, had set aside over $255,000. And when they saw how important this soap opera audience was on radio, the next year in 1931, they ramped that up to almost a half a million dollars, $499,000 and change. And it goes down the whole list about what Kellogg did, what Pacific Coast, what Borax did, all these increased budgets based on the sales of product. Now you ask me, well, what does that have to do with the history of black soap opera stars, black soap actors, and product? Well, African-Americans watch over 50 hours of television a week. And I want you to check out the UCLA Darnell Hunt diversity report. He puts one out every year. Professor Hunt puts out a report on lack of diversity in television and in the film industry every year. I've had the great honor of sitting across from him, talking to him about daytime and the reprehensible record of lack of economic inclusion in soap opera. So I'm not talking to you about Drew. I'm not talking to you about Malcolm. I understand you love the characters. I understand it's aspirational. I understand that you love Angie and Jesse, and you should. You should love Aunt Mamie and Neil and the whole nine. But I'm talking to you about why so many African-Americans and others who are not white don't have staying power and the disparity of opportunities beyond acting. You see what I'm saying? We're talking about being in an industry. Soap opera is a job for life. And so we're talking about soap stars that are white go from working 25 years in the biz, going from pillar to post on different soaps. Oh, yes. Eileen Davidson's on Young and the Restless, and then she's over on General Hospital, and -and so-and-so's over on Bold and the Beautiful, untraded. Not the same for black actors. Doesn't matter how many Emmys or NAACP image awards. We don't get traded. We don't get those other contracts on days of our lives. Oh, no. Why? Why don't you see us as an asset to be traded to play another character on another show? Okay. Why is it that white actors are offered multiple white actors? And you can do the research. It's all there on America's front porch are offered opportunities to direct, to write, 
because they're nice. No experience. Invited to write because you were an actor on the show. That happened with Irma Phillips, who is said to be the first soap opera writer for radio. And she was an actress. She was asked to be an actress on the first soap opera, Painted Dreams. And then she took off. Read about Irma Phillips. She just took off. But this was a white actress who was given an opportunity. We're talking about opportunity and economic inclusion. And if you're never included, how could you get the experience to participate in writing scripts for daytime with the story and teleplay at, and I'm guessing, because I haven't checked recently, but we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars, maybe $26,000 for the script. Now you add that up. You add that up for a soap opera that works five days a week. And even though soap opera has writing teams, anywhere from five to eight, I don't know, every show is different, people who work from all over the United States, they don't work in the office. You got writers living in Hawaii and writers living in New York and writers living in Arizona and writers live, they just email their pages in. So that sounds a little cush to me. It's hard work, especially with COVID, you can just be home and writing. But where's the opportunity? Where's the opportunity for a Christophe St. John that asked over and over and over to participate in the writing process and told no? Stop coming to us with your stories. A man that put in over a quarter of a century of his career into a show, a black man, told no. I asked to direct four shows a year after putting in over 2,000 episodes, over 14 years. And the CBS head of daytime said, well, if we let you, then others will ask, What did you mean by others? You mean other black people will ask? How about I was told that this has never been done, where an actor or an actress has never written or directed for soap lies? I've done the research. We are capable, we are credible, and we are ready. The flagrant economic exclusion needs to be smashed rooted out these people who have allowed this to happen. Some of these people have been rooted out already, but there's no systemic change. And soap opera in the United States is run like a 1950s Alabama country club. Meanwhile, you put a Victoria Rowell up front. You'll put a Brighton James up front. You'll put a Debbie Morgan up front to pull in that black audience watching 50 hours of television a week, family who are consumer viewers, black women predominantly in the South keep soap opera on its stilts. That's a fact. Young and the Restless, if they didn't have the margin of black women watching the show, they would precipitously fall. Number one market for Young and the Restless is Louisiana, black women buying Procter & Gamble products, which brings us full circle. Black people, we buy products generationally. So if grandmother, auntie, sister, uncle, grandpa bought the product, we will most likely buy the product. We'll buy the Tide. 
We'll buy the crest. But my question is this, why? Are we supporting what does not support us? Why do black actors have to arm wrestle for a $100 increase every three years? I'm not joking. Why was it that I had to request on behalf of the black cast pulling in millions of eyeballs? And you can take that to the bank and ask Madison Avenue, which equated to millions of dollars in consumerism, where African-American consumerism is at 1.3 trillion now annually. So why are we trying to get equal, if not more, when we're pulling in that kind of audience share and you don't want to share it with us? And so for me, African-American history in daytime is on one hand an amazing pedigree to be a part of. Who doesn't want to say I was in the pantheon of a Brock Peters, in the pantheon of a Cicely Tyson, a Ruby Dee, an Ozzie Davis, a Norma Donaldson, a Ben Guillory. But you're telling me that when I asked to direct four shows a year with some experience, you told me no. But the lady across the hall from me, she had more experience than me? I don't think so. I think I was doing feature films with Eddie Murphy and Jim Carrey and Sam Jackson and working with Will Smith. I think that I was working in primetime television. I think I did it. But you told me no, but she can direct and act at the same time. That's just one example. I want to know why black actors who are pulling in that kind of audience share in the millions of dollars aren't getting the same salaries as an Eric Braden as a Melody Thomas Scott. No, we need to be making the same equal salaries in daytime. And effective change is the bottom line. So if the African-American audience stops watching, there will be changes. Changes will happen. This march is emblematic of so much that needs to change on the backs of black people wallets and our purses and we need to show the power of our purse i've been saying this for years why was it that when i requested a black hairstylist for the black cast pulling in all that money all that revenue why was it you put us in a room downstairs from our white cast members oh i'm gonna tell it why did you find me me who is working two shows, coordinating talent for you, and I mean talent, doing the work. Well, the NAACP, Dr. Geraldine Washington, made sure, as did SAG-AFTRA, that you gave me back every last cent. Now, those are just some of the obstacles 
some of the repression, some of the history that African-American actors deal with in daytime. You all know I was doing primetime and I do, I still do primetime and I'm still doing films and we'll be filming this summer and directing. So no, I don't consider any show number one when you can't diversify your show and treat your black actors as equal, that you're not giving us the same opportunities as your white actors to direct, to write, to show run, to produce. If you do not give us the opportunity, then we cannot have that same economic inclusion in the hundreds of thousands of dollars we have missed out. I'll never forget the day when I was getting ready to do my scene and I had an Afro puff. I was wearing an Afro fall. And the storyline was in a beauty company called Jabot. I can remember exactly where I was standing on the set and what I was wearing, a zebra print dress. And this flawless hairstylist that I had a lot to do with getting hired Nancy Morrison had done my hair. And one of the lead white actresses ran out on set in an Afro wig and danced around set. I couldn't start my scene. She danced in front of me, mocked my hair, and ran off set. These are the things, historically. And there were no repercussions whatsoever. These are the stories. These are the realities. For actors, not only in daytime, but especially in daytime, because they've gotten away with so much, so much racism, so much exclusion, and it's got to end now. You need to hire African-Americans behind the camera in executive positions when you've got so many capable African-Americans right here to run that show and take it out of the Stone Age. Why did Mark Moriel and I have to fight to get Susan Dansby, the first black writer hired, Writers Guild of America writer, at like the 37-year mark? Why? Why is it that you don't want us behind the camera, but you prop up some of us in front of it and treat us so disrespectfully? Times have changed. I'm not even saying times are changing. Times are changed. And they're going to stay changed. If you don't get with it, you're not going to have any daytime soap operas on broadcast. And you don't deserve our viewership, given what we have given to you so beautifully, so artfully. Ellen Hawley sat with me in New York City at the Four Seasons Hotel and she told me what they did to her on One Life to Live. This brilliant Shakespearean, New York City, Joe Papp theater actress. And she wrote a book titled One Life. She was on One Life to Live. I would be here for a week or more telling you the stories of black actors and actresses who have endured incredible pushback, just unspeakable behaviors toward us before we act, before we go before the camera. Tashina Arnold 
has told her story. We all have a story, but they could not suppress me into submission. I'm not the one. Everything about foster care has fortified me to seize the moment, to speak the truth, to stand up not only for myself, but for others. If you stay silent, you're complicit. How can you not amplify and celebrate the black audience that keeps you at number one? Nobody talking about that when you grab that, that damn Emmy. Nobody talking about it. It's a shame, but I'm talking about it. I'll talk about it some more. I'm not going to stop talking about it. It's what I've been talking about. On contract, off contract, until we see change. And that's what this marching is about. This marching is about the pain of police brutality towards black people. You know, I was asked recently, when was the first time you had an encounter with a police officer minding your own business? I was 17. It's traumatic. I was a ballet dancer in New York. Things are going to stay changed. I want to thank all the fans out there. I want to thank all my brothers and sisters. All of us are in this together. All. So I want to thank you for joining this very transparent Secrets of a Soap Opera Diva. And I want you to stay lifted, stay strong, stay woke, and stay faithful. This is Victoria Rowell signing off. This podcast is brought to you by Entertainment Speakers Bureau in association with Days Ferry Productions and Tasty Shop Media with production sound design by Wine Designs Media. The views, information, and or opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the host and do not represent or reflect the official policy or position of Entertainment Speakers Bureau or that of its affiliates, partners, and employees.